0: The Guild's gift shop showcases unique art from over 100 local and regional member artists. Come enjoy music from the Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra or the 411 Concert Series. We invite you to explore your creativity in one of our classes. All are welcome at the Northfield Arts Guild. To learn how you can be a part, visit northfieldartsguild.org or call 507-645-8877.
1: Health insurance that fits my budget? I'm covered. I needed health coverage that I could count on and afford. Mensure helped me find a plan that worked for me, and they helped me save money, too. Did you know that most Minnesotans qualify for savings through Mensure? And they have free experts who can help you sign up for coverage. So easy. Go to Mensure.org today to get started and get covered. That's Mensure.org for coverage you can count on and afford. Art Zaney. Radio for the Imagination with your host Paula Granquist is brought to you by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts. And now, Art Zany Radio for the Imagination.
0: 95.1, The One, Still a Friend You Can Count On. Good morning. This is Paula Christ and you're tuned in to Art Zany Radio for the Imagination. Sorry about the little musical interlude there. We are here today in the studio in downtown Northfield at KYMN, and I want to thank you so much for listening to the show that celebrates creating and stories, and I'm ready to tune my imagination, so I hope you are too. If there's one thing I would like you to take away from this week's Art Zany Radio, it is the word something. Remember the importance of knowing that something matters in our world. This week, I read a story from The Guardian by Carol Peeker entitled, A Moment That Changed Me. My son was relishing life after recovering from cancer, so why did I feel broken? Her son at the age of 13 during the pandemic was diagnosed with osteosarcoma. During the year of his chemotherapy treatments, she and her husband took turns in the cancer ward caring for him and keeping him company. And she had said to him, When things go bad, I promised, and when things got bad, I promised him, one day this will be over and life will be back to normal. He did find a new normal in his teenage life, but at that time she found herself overwhelmed by grief. She struggled with this feeling because. She thought, well, we had been one of the lucky cancer parents, and she thought she should be happy. And she kept worrying about what he had lost and how challenging his life would be in the future. He would likely never be done testing, recovering, and caring for the after effects of cancer. And she wondered, how could he be a normal kid? Then she made some connections with friends in the community, and during their conversations, she learned that they too had stories to share about the invisible ordeals of adolescence. And she concluded that by the time we reach adulthood, most of us have had had to contend with some form of something. And she discovered that she was not alone. Her son was not alone. We are all survivors. She says, quote, In fact, it is often the act of overcoming our something that empowers us with resilience and a keener capacity for empathy. And I want to thank Carol Peeker for writing this piece and The Guardian for publishing this article. And I'd like to add that it's not just our adolescent somethings that we have to contend with in our lives everybody has a something right now in their lives. Some are shared and visible. Others are quiet and personal and unseen. We all have a something. And the more we can make connections and share the journeys of our somethings, the more we can practice empathy, the more we will see each other, not as others, but as somebody's with somethings. To find out about the somethings with somebody this week, I hope that you do that. And I'm very thrilled today to be able to bring a story to you. Uh, in, in the studio is my guest today, filmmaker Maddie Lufkin. Welcome to Art Radio. Thank you. Excuse me. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to have you. And, And I'm so excited for you to hear this story. This is the story of her documentary, He Ain't Heavy. The film shares the story of Maddie's younger brother, John, who was born mentally handicapped, a summer at the family cabin, and the journey to find her place in the world. There is a film event coming up I want you to get on your calendars. It's on Wednesday, the 30th of November at 730 at the Carleton College Campus White Center for Creativity Theater that's on third street in northfield and i hope that you will make time to see this film i was honored to be able to see it a little bit in advance and i am going to tell everybody to come because it's so amazing Mm -hmm. so tell us how how you became a filmmaker i'm curious about uh the you know your journey towards towards deciding to make that a part of your world
1: i I think I was probably making films in my head when I was a kid, uh starting when I was swinging at school, swinging on the swing, and I would uh create uh what I called um coke is it's the real thing it was swinging and like thinking about uh what I would put in the ad for a Coke commercial <laughs> and <clears throat> thinking about stories, Uh, often while I was in school, not paying attention to what was going on in the classroom. I was just always kind of uh, creating uh, little plays or yeah, stories or commercials, especially anything that I saw on television, like a Coke ad. But I'm like, I could do that better. (laughs) And what I would do is swing on my swing. And then Oh, I would jump off the swing and then I would slow-mo the camera so that I was coming down to the earth really slowly and the wind would be in my hair. So, yeah. You had a visual memory, <laughs> a visual imagination. <laughs> I I did and and I didn't really get involved in filmmaking until uh, I left Chicago after college. I was in Chicago for about 3 years and then I came back to the Twin Cities. And just at that time, uh, Film in the Cities, which was a Mm. prominent uh, film house of sorts, boy, they had their hands in just about every little nook and cranny in multimedia that you could think of. And just as I entered the Twin Cities and caught wind of Film in the Cities, they were going down. They were uh, dismantling. And I was like, oh, that's too bad, gosh darn it. You know, I just got here and I'm so interested in this film center. So a guy started a new program. He thought, let's just keep the access center running, all the film equipment, photo equipment. He's like, let's keep this running. Would there be any volunteers that would like to join me in this effort to keep this a part of this program moving? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll volunteer. So a handful of us started volunteering working with this guy uh, Steve Westerland who was on staff at Film in the Cities and we started um uh putting our heads together and started writing grants mm-hmm. and some of the grants started trickling through and uh about a year later we were all on staff and we had formed a small uh uh new uh, what we called Midwest Media Artist Access Center. And it, it, so MAC, because Mac, you know, it's <laughs> long, M-M-A-A-C, um, which was the new film in the cities. And we we worked our butts off to make that happen. And then that's where I learned literally how to make a film. I mean, I I literally never took a class. I just hung out all the time after hours with people working on projects and I'd be like, oh, you need help doing that? Sure. How, where do I stand? How do I, you know, wh- what what do I do next? And and uh, I was just very hands on and I made my first eight millimeter film there where I was cutting and splicing film uh-huh. and taping it together and wow. then throwing a soundtrack over that. And um, that little film actually helped me get one of the grants that uh, eventually became my feature-length documentary. So my little my little crafty, spliced film, you know, that I made with all heart and soul um, made a little splash in the film circuit, and I played that around town, and, and it got into a couple of film festivals, so... But I literally didn't know what I was doing. I was just like I cut here, I put the tape- I had tape all over the walls and you know, yeah. this is very organic. But that's yeah, that's Mac is where I learned how to make a film and it was, was wonderful.
0: What a great experience and I'm so thrilled that, that you were able to be a part of that you know, keeping it alive in, yes. in the Twin Cities.
1: It was it was it was uh it was an organic volunteer uh from the roots up uh uh, effort mm-hmm. yeah it was it was it was wonderful i made a lot of good friends too we we loved each other we supported each other and we were we were thrilled to take you know the ashes of film in the cities and make
0: it come alive again well, and we're so thrilled to be able to, to talk about this. And one of the things that, that I made the connection between that story that I'd read and a line in the film was you said during the film, everyone has things that they have to deal with, and this is what we have to deal with. And I loved that, and I, I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's that something, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, um, let's get into the story of your family and tell us about how your family told your story about mm-hmm. you know if somebody asked tell me about your family what would you say
1: well yeah let's see I'm gonna i'm going to loop around a little and then get to the core of it hopefully um i i originally wanted to to tell this story and this this is the honest truth because a close personal friend of my family's made an offshoot comment about john one day my brother john who is severely mentally handicapped. And she said something to the effect of, um, you know, you guys just have to really, really uh, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just, you know, just deal with it. I mean, really, I know, it's just, it's so hard. It's just, but um, you guys know what you're doing and it's, it's, everything will be fine. And I I sat with that comment for about a year, and it really, it really irked me. And I felt at best the comment was uh, unconscious Mm -hmm. on many levels, but also kind of surly and also um, not really getting who we were as a family and not understanding my brother at all, clearly. <clears throat> so that 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 was the beginning of, huh, I should really just do a film about my brother and my family because um, this is going to really show what we deal with on a daily basis or monthly or yearly as after my brother moved into a group home, um, there was still a lot of struggling. Even though he was not with us, it was still a struggle because we were carrying the psychic weight of how he was doing on a daily basis. And when he came home for home visits, often you'd think, oh, we're going to hang out and uh, maybe watch a movie and maybe take a long walk in the woods up at our lake property where I did most of the filming. But no, some of those visits were hell they were total hell and so i i thought um yeah we're going to we're going to really show what it's like dealing with my brother and the fact that someone would be told to pull up their bootstraps when they're dealing with something that's unimaginable um in terms of stress and trauma um no, it's it. It wasn't that at all. Mm-hmm. Now back to mom and dad. Um, I would say we all had a different uh, take on what we were dealing with, and and perfect to put that in the film because it's like, well, here's my perspective. Here's mom's perspective. Oh, look, mom's unraveling, right? And here's dad um, turning off the lights because he wants to save electricity, and then whistling down the hallway. while my brother's kind of going through a daily trauma, it was like, well, that's a little interesting. Um, And then, you know, I, well, oh, I'll save that for later. But (laughs) you and I were talking earlier about a comment that my mom made about the communication between her and my father, which was uh, what's, you know, roundabout and not precise and not not putting their heads together but one person is talking this way and another person's talking so the two hands are not (laughs) meeting in the middle so yeah sorry I kind of went on a tangent there but I would say if you were to talk to mom and dad before I started filming they would have told you very different things about what we were experiencing and a part of that was from the era that they came from the 1950s where you don't you don't talk about um, your problems at home. You know, So leave it to Beaver. Dad goes off to work. Mom cleans house. Dad <laughs> comes home from work. And and everything's in order and dinner's ready. And that was, like, not my family mm. at all. In fact, I learned how to cook early on because there there were so many days where Mom was so exhausted that she couldn't put a simple meal together at the end of the day. So, yeah, it's... It's but we we got we got we got some of these perspectives on film, which which I think was crucial to kind of get get at the heart of what we were dealing with every day.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. It does. <laughs> it, it's a beautiful film. I want to remind people again. It is called He Ain't Heavy. And there's going to be a screening on November 30th mm-hmm. at the White Center uh, Theater. And this is, uh, you know, it's such a a, a Honest and beautiful. I, I think I didn't realize the, the prompt that had gotten you to, to decide to, you know, I want really want to show what this film, you know, show through this film what this family life is like. Because I would guess a lot of people don't know uh, mm-hmm, the daily mm-hmm. struggles. And you dedicate the film to all those families that have um, families with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And you say you are not alone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, but I think it it's for all of us because it 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 shows us the insights that you have about what's happening and the truth mm-hmm. of your family mm-hmm. and a lot of people might know your family uh, your father was um well known in our community so tell us about some of your connections to Northfield that people might be interested in because it, it this and this will be the first time this film is shown in Northfield
1: mm-hmm. North <coughs> excuse me Northfield was was never a place that I thought I would hunker hunker down in i was very drawn to the west coast for a a number of years um when i was shooting the film footage at our lake property uh we literally started to unravel all of us (laughs) and it was at that time where i was like i'm i'm done and i literally threw all of my belongings what few i had at the time into my car and i drove i just started driving and I'm like it was kind of like right out of a true faux film where if I get to the edge of the ocean everything will be okay. And and I and I shot the footage. I shot, you know, I have a little sequence in the in the final edit of, you know, here I am making my big break away from family trauma and I'm going to California to start my new life and I'm gonna to go to the ocean, everything'll be great. And um, so I got to the West Coast and continued working on the film, looked for an editor, had some amazing adventures, and then woke up one day with, like, these lumps in my neck and put that in the film because I had this nightmare about my brother, actually my brother, jumping to his death from a high, you know, spot, jumping over the ledge and landing on the ground and dying, and it was at the like literally two days later. I looked in the mirror, <clears throat> looked in the mirror, and saw these lumps in my neck. So I was like, "Uh oh!" And back to the Midwest I came. My father was at Mayo Clinic. Well, actually, he was retired at that point, but this was his specialty: endocrinology, thyroid at Mayo Clinic. So he's like, "You're not, you're not getting a biopsy in California. You're coming back here, and we're gonna put you through Mayo properly." I'm like. Okay, Dad. So um, that's what led me back to, and North, literally, my parents had just come to Northfield, sold the lake property. They're like, we're done with our isolation on the lake. We're coming back to Northfield. My dad's alma mater went to Carleton College, built a new, brand new house on Maple Street. And literally two months later, I was diagnosed with um, very advanced thyroid cancer so I stayed here for an entire year coming and going to Mayo going through this really brutal uh, treatment it was it was brutal and then um, just stayed at my parents house then went back to California Mm. and then came back again for another round of illness and I've been here ever since and so i view northfield in a different perspective than i think many that 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 are really plugged into any number of you know academia or or everything that northfield has going on i've been kind of hunkered down on the outskirts trying to heal and this to me feels like a healing i've i've worked with literally every single naturopath in the area, uh, I'm now doing Qigong work um, with uh, Master Chun Lin up in uh, in uh, Eden Prairie. I think that's we're all online and on the phone, so I've never been to the center. But the, to me, we have some of the most profound healing, <clears throat> and and from a holistic point of view, because I kind of left Mayo Clinic, and that's a whole nother film, <laughs> which, <laughs> which 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 we won't talk about today but I'm on a different path now of holistic healing and I was able to do that here in town and now revisiting my film um to me this is this is how I'm wanting to uh, reach out to others and sh- and actually share my story as part of my healing journey and and wanting to um to talk to people and answer any questions they but to me the film feels so connective right now and I pulled it off the shelf I finished it in 2016 and have done not that much and now I'm like oh my gosh now, now, which to me feels like oh I've got, strange I have the energy, where did that come from so so there's something happening with me and that I'm I
0: feel like I'm coming back to life And yeah, I think it's, it's so powerful what you said that um, the film illustrates is the pressure on the siblings of someone with a, a mental disability to figure out where's my place after my parents are gone, you know, what is my role? How much do I care for? So that's a real heavy weight, and that's that's part of of what this film illustrates is right. How, how do you manage that? And that's that's your journey through through this film too, trying to figure out what what's my place and and you know uh, you know I love love my brother, but You know, there's tensions and difficulties and challenges. Right. And so I think that's, um, you know, like there's a parallel story. It's it's about, you know, your brother and your parents and you too. Yes. And so it's a very powerful film. It's absolutely um, just there's so much beauty and joy and love in this film, and there 's hard things too mm-hmm. that that um are going to be you know hard for people to see. You mentioned that a lot of ta- of the folks who who knew your dad didn 't know even know that uh, John was um a part of the family
1: well da- right dad dad compartmentalized and he was trained to do that as a doctor and um and then and then serendipitously um I got cancer in his field and was facing him on a daily basis for an entire year with this illness and um there was there was one day where I had been filming in the house I I I filmed the sequence of cancer and dealing with it and I did it in a kind of an artistic visual mm-hmm. way because I wasn't strong enough to, to do much narration or contemplation, but I, I did it with, with photos and film images. And there was one day where I was literally so sick that I just fell fell over on the floor in front of my dad and then tried to ask him questions about my condition because he, he was an endocrinologist at Mayo Clinic, but he didn't know how to answer. All he could see was me, like, struggling And, and then he started tearing up and then he quickly, you know, composed himself and wiped the tears away and just looked at me kind of, again, with that, kind of that distant, you know, uh, so I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing. That's, that's the, that's what, that's what we have in this family and I think part of my illness, actually, I, I mean, I don't think I know that, that my illness came from uh, really intense periods of stress and trauma growing up in my family. I mm-hmm. see a complete 100% correlation between coming down with cancer in my early 40s and, and trauma and, and I'm not saying it's John's fault or it's my mom's fault or my dad. It's, it's just, that's just what happened. And you can be certain that when you deal with longevity periods like longevity, uh, hi- history of stress and trauma, that, that something's going to turn up in the body and mm-hmm. it's not going to be pretty. So, now that I get that correlation, I'm 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 really working hard on um, well managing that, and also being truthful about things that are hard to deal with, and sort of using my voice because the illness showed up in my throat and was very constrictive, and tumors. You know, I still actually have several tumors that I'm that I'm trying to heal in my throat so this has been long term but a part of the healing for me is like get it out just talk uh when i'm angry i'm angry or when i'm um -hmm. feeling grief oh gosh i my heart hurts and and try to tend to those hurts as opposed to you know because because parents especially my parents were like no 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 we're not gonna you know we're not going to talk about these issues we're not to, we don't want our neighbors to know so looping back around to your mm-hmm. question with my dad um i think it it suited him much better to just be out in the world living and doing uh big projects and communicating with people um from a kind of academic or scientific point of view because that made him feel confident and it made him feel like he was accomplishing things which he was my dad is a pillar in this town he he did some amazing things in this town and um and that's what fueled him and his soul and then there was also this incredible heartache that he just stuffed I think deep down into his himself and then um and then, later in life um he developed uh bone marrow cancer or multiple myeloma which which would entered the bones and to me, like the bones like that's our that's the core of 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 us in our in in our bodies so was is there a correlation between having this heartache in his life and then developing this This cancer into the core of his being. I mean, maybe Um, that's the way I view things. But if I had that conversation with him today, he would probably be like, no, that no, there's no correlation. You know, it's not been studied. You know, it's not been proven. And I'm like, oh, the things I know. Yeah. And so
0: that's that's one of the dynamics in the film. And John takes center stage as as the family kind of has to revolve. I I think one thing the film shows clearly you, you touched on here is kind of the relentless care that's required because of medications or uh, even what your mom was talking about. I love, I just love that image of her and and talking about what communication is and her hands are passing over each right, other. Right,
1: right. And I'm like, well, there you go. Right.
0: There it is. And, and so, uh, and, and it's, you know, there, even with John that communication you might be trying to take a picture of him and he's amused by the microphone mm-hmm. and you know you're 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 trying to get him to talk about something or you I think you wanted to play music one time and he kept putting the cassette tape way up right. close <laughs> and so there's there's humor but frustration in in that and that's what I think a lot of people may not understand what it's like to care speaking back to the, the original question to your friend who you know was like just you get you guys got this yeah right um it's you show uh honestly the the difficulties right the, Yes. What, what doesn't get done in the family what doesn't get addressed because you're all trying to figure out how do we handle what's going on with john
1: and we 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 i don't know if we yeah i'd say all of it we we learned uh we learned how to live in this other place you know it which was <clears throat> it was kind of magical with john and in fact, in one of the earlier trailers that I did for the film i i didn't put it in the final edit here, but in one of the trailers, I say um if John is autistic, then so am I.' Oh. and i literally felt uh throughout my childhood and and onward um that i that there was something wrong with me and now i'm seeing no it it was that i was i was in this other place um i was in the john lufkin headspace which was otherworldly and how do you how do you define that how do you um, describe that well it feels a little insane and it feels otherworldly and so I spoke his language but that and I said in the trailer I said if um, John can't be in my world then in order to communicate with him, I go into his world.
0: That's really lovely. And, you you know, there were moments in, in the film where you're doing a puzzle or, um, you know, talking about some, you know, dinner... <laughs> Right, making the pudding, or <laughs> yes. he's like it's
1: chocolate. I'm like, is that chocolate or what is that? Yeah,
0: yeah. Just, so there's really big highs and joys, and uh, then then the challenges that come with right, frustrations. Right.
1: He, we we try to bring John into our world on a daily basis because that's where we think we all live. When in fact, no, not necessarily on any given day, maybe not. And then we, so that's what I'm saying. We go into his world. And we try to kind of communicate on that level, and it is—it's it's like learning a foreign language and then speaking that language that maybe no one else understands mm-hmm. because it's not a language that they've been exposed to. But, but, and then, and then from there, you could have you could have success where it's like, yes, we've we've made contact with the alien. Or no, we're completely unraveling. We're not we're not entering his world. He's not letting us in and he certainly is not joining us here where mm-hmm. we're standing. So now we're in now we're in deep doo doo. And, and it th- yeah, it's 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 but it yeah, growing up with that I felt like I was insane. I I literally uh it's like being exposed to a world that that we're not living in and then trying to function and it was yeah, I thought there was something really wrong with me.
0: And I can see how that would happen and that, that um those dynamics in the family, you know, contribute to that. And that that's, you know, an inside look at a family dealing with, with uh mental disabilities that most people don't don't get to see on a daily basis. Nope. And so I, I applaud you for doing this film and putting it out. I want to remind people this is Art Zaney, Radio for the Imagination. I'm Paula Granquist. And we're here today talking about the film He Ain't Heavy with Maddie Lufkin, which is going to be at the White Center on... Wednesday, November thirtieth at seven thirty. Actually, so sorry, it's it starts at seven. At seven, yeah. I said the wrong time. No, no worries. I just didn't seven, have my seven notes. O'clock,
1: seven o'clock. Well, we'll have an introduction with uh, Noel Ponder, who is the creative director over there. Noel's a Noel's a really cool guy, and he's uh, he's. I'm so thankful that he he's letting me uh, have access to this amazing venue. Um, So yeah, it starts at seven o'clock. And um, yeah, I would I'd love to pack the house. I think that'd be awesome.
0: It is an hour about an hour long film. And it is, I will tell you well worth your time. I saw it by myself, but I know I want to go see it with other people Mm -hmm. because it feels like that Mm -hmm. kind of experience where Mm -hmm. you can have that shared moment. It's 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 incredible. So mm, thank you. I, I just you're, feel you're sweet. so thank honored you so much. to be able to help people to, to see this and to to see you know what what happens in a family. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that comes through loud and clear in the film is the different uh, viewpoints of whether we should be filming or not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, I know exactly what scene you're talking about. That's so funny.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so how how did your parents feel about it because they had been so, you know, keep this in a box. This is our, right. you know, our struggle, but we're not burdening anybody else. We'll carry right. it all. Right. And yet here you are with a camera saying I'm going to put this out in the world.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. It 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 was funny at times and it was maddening at times. And uh again, the, you know, you if you take a camera in any setting and and just point it at someone, it could be really disturbing. <laughs> I'll said, say yeah, that. Yeah if you're not used sure. to it or you're not it's used like, to being open. How how dare you? What the heck? So and I I'm thinking of different um scenes that wound up in the final mix. There there's a scene where my father we're sitting around early on where I'm showing, oh, good times, you know, in the family, you know, here's what we, you know, here's a, here's a day in a life, so to speak. And we're sitting at the dinner table and then, uh, and I'm just, you know, pointing the camera around, you know, go around the table. There's mom, there's dad, there's John. And then all of a sudden dad looks up and he says something like, are we having fun yet? And I was like, oh, it's perfect Ed Lufkin. You know, it was like kind of with the little hint of sarcasm in the voice. And then, and then I'm laughing for some reason. I just had the giggles and I kept laughing. The camera's kind of juggling back and forth. And then, and then my mom says, um, no, you know, and I'm like, Oh, that that's good. We're going to put that in there. And then John, I, put the camera on John and he's, he's, uh, he's, he's starting to go into a bad place and probably no one can tell at that point what's going on, but I could tell he's just kind of withdrawing into himself at the dinner table, kind of picking at his food. Not so I'm like, Oh, here we go. You know, but, um, mom for the most part was really reluctant to have me do this uh project and also she and I had a conversation on tape which I put I did not put in the final mix but she said something like I'm fine if you want to do like what you're calling your little diary on on videotape I'm fine with that but but I don't want you to show it and I said and I'm taping her while I while we have this conversation, I said, well, why not? And she said, because it's ours. It's It belongs to us. Mm-hmm. It's our story. It's not for anyone else to know about. And I'm like, that's exactly why I'm doing it, Mom. I'm, I want to sh- share this story with others. Why? Why do you want to do it? And I said, because then it takes us out of the shadow. It takes us out of this this dark secretive icky uh place Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: why not liberate ourselves from that no she she didn't get it so there are scenes where i'm shooting something that's difficult going on with john and she literally just bats me out of the way with her hand like she's like stop it she i I put that in because it's like there's there's the resistance this is what i'm Wanting to expose, mm-hmm. um, I'm not wanting to hurt my mother. I'm wanting to get out of the shadow. It doesn't feel good to sit here.
0: Yeah, there is a lot of love in in the film. It, you're you know just knowing your uh, goals to 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 illuminate, but to you know show John to the world and to show what it's like to be in this family. And so I, I you know I think that um, it's it's. Instantly you can adore this family and then you know uh, tolerate the the challenges that come that mm-hmm. come ahead mm-hmm. and uh i want, i wanted to maybe you could tell people a little bit um if you were to about John and uh you know what uh you you know growing up and you know how you you describe your brother
1: well that's that such 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 a great question. Um I would describe John as being unlike uh so many that I've met with uh disability which is why I was like we have to make a film about him he's so different um complicated and um also brilliant at mm-hmm. times um I would say I've been exposed to you know I've been around so many different kinds of kids with disability, including Down syndrome, which I thought was always very, gosh, why are these kids always in such a great mood? Like, God <laughs> darn it. wish I wish we had that with my brother. So it's so easy to get along and so, uh, joyful down. I don't know. I've never met. And, I, and please forgive me if anyone knows different, cause this has just been my experience, but, and my exposure, uh, but with with my brother it was like so um complicated and complex and otherworldly and at times um little, little little strokes of genius where i was like he gets way more than he lets on that he does he he understands things i think at a at a much greater level than half the time he's giving credit for so and I put a little story in there in the film about uh, where we were sitting in a theater oh, mm. some years ago. And, and uh, well, please come and see the yeah, film and see it. that. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you another story that didn't wind up in the final mix. This, this is the brilliance of my brother. So we're up at the lake property. And one day, um, my dad was down at the lake tinkering, as he always did, with some mechanical project or other. I think he was doing something with the dock, and uh, he was struggling a little bit he was he was in his waders and in, in the middle of the lake uh well, not in the middle he's on the shoreline, but anyway, uh, all of a sudden, one of the cabin doors swings open, and my brother w- holding his Mickey doll, his stuffed mickey doll comes he he like boom starts running pell-mell out of the cabin he's like I'm coming to help you dad I'm coming to help you he grabs a hammer that he found <laughs> I don't know somewhere on the you know between the cabin and the lake my dad's standing there looking at a distance looking up at my brother running straight towards him with a hammer in his hand and my dad yells out no son no and my and John no John was hellbent on helping him and he goes I'm coming to help you dad And then he takes his hammer and he just throws it like, (laughs) I'm going to help you now, dad. And then you hear my dad, one final plea, no, son, no, kind of in slow motion. The hammer goes through the air and plunk lands right in the lake, but right really close to my father, like maybe another inch and that would have been a very bad situation And then my brother, of course, you know, because he was playing, you know, but of course, we're not quite sure what John is doing, if he's trying to help or he's angry. But then all of a sudden, my brother does this deep guttural laugh. (laughs) And and my dad just looked kind of pathetic, like, oh, man, that was close. (laughs) And so and so I'm standing on the other part of the shore watching this and I was just laughing so hard. I had tears rolling down my face because John was was messing with my dad Mm -hmm. you know and yet we weren't quite sure you know do you really want to help the old man or or are you making fun and he was making fun
0: yeah, and so. that's that's part of that communication that's happening, right? You're not sure what level you're coming at, and you mentioned something that I think is really poignant in the film, was this Mickey that your your brother had, um, and there's a, an absolutely sweet scene where uh, it was your mother was taking a nap with him, and you caught uh, your brother with Mickey, and it's just, you know, such a a moment of. I, I, you, you see John in a new light when you see that
1: right and in that literally it's a, it's a short little clip but literally it's one of my favorite clips in the entire story it it because it captured John and it was just kind of on a on an off day where mom was exhausted John was stressed out and so they laid on their perspective beds in the master bedroom, mom over here by the corner, John on the other bed, laying, laying down with his Mickey doll, his Mickey stuffed doll. And I just kind of snuck in there with the camera because I overheard John talking, and I'm like, is he talking to my mom? And no, mom, was, mom had her back turned away from him, and he was just laying there with Mickey. And he was, he was talking to Mickey and he was having a conversation with his Mickey doll. Mm -hmm. And whenever we played that clip, when my editor and I laid it out, um, we were just like laughing, like, ah, there, there's John. And he was saying something, I'm trying to remember, I'll have to, I'll, I'll, I'll pay attention when we have our screening, like, I haven't seen this in a while, but he was saying something like, um talking about the universe or I can't remember exactly the, but it was one light. And then John lifts his hand up and kind of twirls it in the air. Like, Ta-da! we've, we, we've discovered it, Mickey. And it, I was like, God, that's it. That's, and that's the other worldliness too, that I've been kind of talking about earlier where, John John would go to these places and have these conversations. It made no sense whatsoever, but it was the tone of voice. It was like he's communicating nonetheless. Mm-hmm. He's, he's talking to his Mickey doll, his best friend in the whole world, that he takes everywhere with him because it's like his his soulmate, I mm-hmm. guess, for lack of better description, and he's having little conversations. Although I have no idea what he's saying, it was like, and and so... I, yeah that 's my favorite clip literally in the whole film
0: I agree it 's a really special moment and uh, I think that uh, it, it there 's just so much depth to this film, and so I want people to be able to see it we 're probably it 's hard to do you know something visual and then and then talk about the stories, but there will be a chance for people to come and see it and then ask you questions about mm-hmm. it let 's talk a little bit about the process of making the decisions of how to shape the film and how to tell the story, because I imagine you had a lot more footage than, mm-hmm, as, mm-hmm. You, as you said, some of the stories that didn't make it into the final cut. What were your thoughts on to, how to, how to um, narrow down those moments so that you could reveal the, pic, the whole picture?
1: Oh, it's another such a great question, and I'm I'm thinking... That it was a process of intuition more than planning, mm. and it was a process of um, visual how how to tell this story visually. More than okay, a leads to b leads to c, and so I did it. You know, when I learned filmmaking, um, I learned that you log all of the footage mm. wh- when you shoot it. And then you do a process of elimination mm. after, and I'm like, I did just the opposite. <laughs> in other words, I shot footage that I thought was interesting, and that's all I knew and Then I didn't log anything and then and then I had a mess of footage when I was finally ready to edit that I couldn't make any sense of, so what I did was I watched footage over and over. And anything that grabbed me when I was watching it would be the clip that I would pull. Mm. I had no idea where the story was going. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just literally shooting from the cuff and following my heart and going, yeah, this is interesting. Somehow this will be part of the story.
0: And what I love in the telling of the story is the changes of time because you go back and forth between you know early years and later years and and incidents you know are woven into the whole story. So we kind of get a sense of. I, I suspect that's that's how it is being with someone um, who's you know disabled and and you're you know constantly you know fighting that tiredness and that that um, you know you know okay we got to get food okay we got to get medicine okay we got to get you know from get cleaned up or get to, get to bed or whatever the the task is that you're doing mm-hmm. and that the, the si- sense of time probably becomes really muddied and exactly
1: know, and it, yes weaving yes. i think is the term and uh i i showed uh my wonderful cousins out east the film recently sent them a link and my cousin came back and said, and, that, and I I kind of did a disclaimer. I'm like, I don't do like the normal narrative. I don't narrate in, I'm supposed to tell a story proper. And she's like, no, no, no. She's like, you're weaving. And she's like, brilliant. And I was like, oh, thank you. Cause I'm like, I didn't, I didn't do the protocol that you're supposed to do in the edit. I, I did it this other way and I didn't follow the rules. And is it confusing? She's like, no, you're weaving. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's what I was doing. And, and you mentioned the concept of time and I'm like concept of time, especially now post COVID. Mm. No, <laughs> we're not following any normal recourse of time. Are we, mm. we're in another dimension now. And that's where we've been living at in my family for quite some time. That time is, is irrelevant when you're, when you're Dealing in, with the the ethers, you know, mm-hmm. you're you're in this other n- non-linear place. So, yeah, I think now watching, you know, bringing the film back to light now, it's like, oh my, this my, this might resonate with people now.
0: Yeah, that's it's exactly just, what I was thinking.
1: There's 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 just there's just the now and just being in the now and like, what do we need to do now to get to. Um, a feeling of I don't know what just just beingness (laughs) just just normalcy if 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 that can even be used here uh not normal but yeah getting through each moment and staying in the present
0: yeah and I thought one of the most poignant poignant questions early on in the film is when you ask John what will we do with our day today? <laughs> and, and you know, and the more you, you watch the film and see the life, you know how impossible that is to plan. Right. And how impossible it is to, to think, yes, we're going to go on a picnic and then we're going to go shopping and then we're going to go to a movie. It, your whole day might be derailed by an, an right. incident and you have to just keep adapting. And, right. I love that line in the film, and some of us should think about that when we do get to plan our day and think mm-hmm. about um, how many other families are out there struggling, trying to figure out, no, I can't even, I got to, like, minute, what right, are we doing? minute by minute. Right, right now.
1: And there's another, you know, I put that just uh, in the beginning and then towards the end of the film where Mom has a soliloquy about John and dealing with John, and she, I won't, say too much about this because I feel it's a really poignant mm-hmm. coming towards the end of the film, but she, she's just like, just stay in the present, just, just stay in the present. And it was, it was a powerful uh, disclaimer on my mom's part where she was really, that was one moment where she was really sharing and opening her That heart. was her wisdom. Yeah. That was her wisdom coming through and not, not fighting it and just sort of saying, you want to know how I deal with John? This is how I deal with John. And I was like, thank you.
0: Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this story for me, I just, after watching it, I, I I want to share with you that I sort of felt this great sense of assuredness that we all have a story, and that story continues. There, it was a really amazing feeling to, to come across that no matter what happens to us, we matter in this world, mm-hmm. and whoever we are, there's a place, and what we're doing is important, and there's just so much comfort in whatever we're going through, whatever our something is, to hear your family's story. And so it was a beautiful experience, and I really encourage everybody to, again, as I said, mark your calendar. The film event is The film is entitled He Ain't Heavy. It's never been shown in Northfield before. Mm -hmm. So this will be the first time, Wednesday, the 30th of November, um, at 7 Mm o'clock. I had written down 7.30. That might be a typo on my part, so thanks for correcting it. (laughs) No worries. No worries. Uh, And look for the posters around town. Again, that's at the White Center for Creativity, their theater up on campus, which is a great place to Mm -hmm. see a a film. Maddie Lufkin, it's been such a pleasure. I have many more questions, so we'll have to keep talking. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're I, welcome. I'm delighted to uh, share this film. I think the timing feels right, and I'm delighted uh, to be here today. And talking with you, this was, is this was most awesome, so appreciate it. Of I'm grateful.
0: Course. Folks, this is Art Zaney, Radio for the Imagination. We are always uh, working on ways to expand our imagination. I love what Maddie said about having a visual imagination, and I think that's something, um, really, if, if that's who you are, then get into that world of film and figure out something that uh, you, can, you can show us about your world. So, folks, I want to thank you so much and hope that you... Always remember to add some art zany to your life. Oh, I did want to mention, too, that I got a note from some of my friends over at Laura Baker Services that they are bringing back the 23rd Annual Community Thanksgiving Dinner, And that might be a place where you can go to, um, they're looking for volunteers right now. And if there's something that you might want to contribute to that, you can contact them. Um, I I forgot to write down the website, uh, lbsa.org, I think. But don't quote me on that, Laura Mm -hmm. Baker Services Association in Northfield. Um, and they are looking for people to help put together that community dinner and to help deliver the one's uh, dinners to all the people who might be homebound and not able to uh, come out for Thanksgiving. And another way for all of us to know that we are not alone. There's a place for you at the table. So in the meantime, until next time, I hope you enjoy your imagination.